this is Rebecca, <laughs> and you're listening to Just, Just Ghouly Things. things. <sighs> I wasn't sure which way I wanted to do it. I saw I, I did for you. It was like, like a last second. Yeah, oh. you were. Just getting your feet wet. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Welcome back to Just Ghouly Things. And we're your bootyful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hi. <laughs> so I hope you guys are all having an amazing spooky season. I feel like I've been having a pretty spooky season. Successful spooky season, yeah, should I say. Su- successful for sure. I mean, your house, the decorations. Oh, it's not even started yet. So when I, I th- that whole bag right there is all decorations. E- I just haven't I, put them up yet. I, I came in I came into Rebecca's house and I was going to do some um like some research before the episode and I went to sit down on the chairs and there was a bag and I just saw a bunch of Halloween shit and I like wasn't even surprised. Yeah, no. I I know, look, we haven't decorated yet. I mean, like I have some stuff up from last year, but this is all new stuff that I Lo- bought. There's so. lots of sugar skulls around here, and I like it. I I love I love sugar skulls. <laughs> They're so beautiful. They really and are very beautiful. Do you see the one I have of the dog? Yes. It looks like Loki. A sugar skull. It we'll, looks we'll, like Loki. We'll it's so cute. We'll post it to our story. I need to start putting reminders in my phone for once the episode is out to we'll post, post these things. things. Because I only listen to the episode so far because sometimes I can't handle my voice. And I'm like, I'm just going to assume it was a good one. <laughs> and then go through, like, my head right after. So. All right. All right. So um, this is going to be a pretty lengthy episode. So I feel like we should just get right into it, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about the most haunted, insane asylums in the United States of America. Ooh. Yeah, I've when we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for the topic this week, I just I don't know. I just thought of it right away and I thought this would be something. I'm surprised we haven't covered this before, but Me, me too. I and it's funny someone was like, "How do you decide what to do?" And I'm like, "Honestly, we just kind of like either mention it in a previous episode or like earlier in the week one of us is like, Hey, what about the, like, there's no yeah. rhyme or reason. Or, you know, a lot of times when we ask for suggestions, we'll take from what you guys have said in the past. So we still have a lot we want to do, but we yeah. want to, we want to do it at the right time. There's so many good ideas, but sometimes yeah. it's just not the best time to do yeah. them. Or when we get also shout out for encounters stories. Um, don't think that we ignore you. We just have to have enough to have a good episode. Yeah. Um, but if you would like to send us your story, just email us at justgoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. Loki, you're ruining my ASMR moment right now. He just wants he, he just wanted to say justgoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. He's just saying it in dog. He's just saying in doggo, just in case we Doggle have some dogs. I hope we have dogs that listen to us. Oh. Because there's so many podcasts that when I'm driving with Loki, I'll have him mm-hmm. listening to it with me. And sometimes, because when I listen to certain podcasts, I'll actually like talk by myself because I feel like in the podcast I can talk to the people that are in the <laughs> podcast. And so I'll like I'll like say things and like bounce it off Loki as if he's gonna be yeah, mom, you're right. Like it's. I it's love it. yeah. I'm an only child. That's I learned to grow up doing things by myself. That is, oh, <laughs> that is one of the um, first memes we ever posted. Was like how it feels to listen to podcasts. Yes, and it's like two people on a billboard and then an actual person like that, sitting with them. That's but that's literally me. And that was actually one of the most like one of the first successful posts from our Instagram. I feel yeah. like that helped build our following. Yeah, so. definitely. All right, so um, Lil, do you want to start with your first? Oh, I feel like we should also say that. Um, 
like saying insane asylum I is kind of like not PC. So yeah. we should well, just say this is like what they were called. Well, this is true. Yeah, one of them was called like I forget what it was, but it, uh, lunatic asylum. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. So bad. And I'm like, so I mean, bad. like that's, you know. But some of them also are like they use the. I love the word sanatorium because yeah. it sounds so much better than it's like, fancy. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, we tortured people and strapped them to chairs, and you're like, but. Sanatorium, sanatorium though like an yeah. asylum that's some asylum shit yeah yeah you know sanatorium like, just sounds like something that's high intuition okay so something that I did was um, I found just a general article of lists and I know I'm I know you did too and yeah it's probably the same <laughs> it's probably the same list but what I did was I took little captions from them and then I kind of elaborated on that okay cool so a quick little blurb I guess I don't know blurb on, Essex Mountain Sanatorium in Essex County, Woo-hoo. which is, you know, our stomping ground. Yeah, North, North Jersey. Ground. Yay! And this one actually had one of the better websites. And I'm okay. not saying that because I'm biased, but it was awesome because one of them that I found was fascinating, but there w- weren't a lot of, like, accounts or stories or anything about the actual hauntings. But this one had a great website um, for the you know asylum itself mm-hmm. and there were tons of accounts so i picked a couple uh later on that i'll read so this says the sanatorium began as the newark city home in 1873 a facility which was designed to serve as an orphanage as well as to reform the local badly behaved children <laughs> after a devastating fire the reconstruction of two buildings and the decline in the number of girls sent to the facility the dedicated female building was then transformed into Essex Mountain Sanatorium in 1906, um, and that was to care for tuberculosis patient, patients. Mm-hmm. But after a while, they also turned the sanatorium into an asylum. So over the years, the hospital grew considerably to cater the ever-increasing number of patients until it was no longer in use by the 1970s. The vacant wards were used to take care of the overflow of mental patients from the nearby asylum before the sanatorium, before it finally closed its doors in 1977. Mm. So it was Wait, little, when did it close? So, um, 1977. Oh, okay. 1977. And then it was there abandoned for a long time. Okay. Um, so since it closed, many people have chosen to step... He's to playing step with a cat. <laughs> or is he playing with a ghost? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so since it closed, many people have chosen to step foot on the grounds and explore the sanatorium for themselves. Some of the most common experiences include hearing footsteps, running along the halls, seeing wheelchairs moving on their own, witnessing ghost-like faces appear at windows. Loki, can I have my moment, please? Never. <laughs> like, no. Okay. Keep going. Um... Wheelchairs moving on their own, witnessing ghost-like faces appear. Witnessing ghost-like faces appear at the windows, feeling a presence following you, and possibly the most terrifying of them all, hearing eerie voices shouting, "Get out!" So that's a little sorry. (laughs) I just hear "Get out!" Yeah, well, that's what people hear there. So I think this is actually the place where. was it on Ghost Adventures, either Aaron or Nick? I don't think it was Ghost Hunters. I don't, did Ghost Hunters? On Ghost Adventures, when they went there, uh, I think it was Nick got caught in the um, 
morgue. Oh, and then okay. They, and he slammed on the door. He's like, let me out of here. I think it was. I don't remember, though. Um, it could possibly be. Yeah. Always something new with those guys. So now we have the nurse. So this is the a little, nurse. This is a little, like, testimonial of Of it. course. She's probably in white. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Right. That was a potential. That was a potential episode. Yes, that needs to be like a four-part series. Yes, though. yes. That needs its own. We need to make a podcast just about women. Yes, and white. I like it. So this was posted on the website as an experience, and something that people are also posting is like their memories there because it was, um, you know. It's not there anymore. Yeah. So it says, hi, I am a little spooked right now because this site resurfaced all of my experiences at the sanatorium. I would say that from 1981 to 1989, I must have made only about a dozen trips to the sanatorium. That's not a lot considering I lived in Verona for 25 years. (laughs) It was about five minutes by car and about an hour by foot where I lived. My first trip was planned with five of my friends on the last day of school in our eighth grade year. First of all, doing this kind of shit in eighth grade is so cool. That's so badass. I was home. Although then again, I wasn't allowed. I I knew people who went to this area. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I never, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of friends, but uh, the friends <laughs> that I did have... They weren't about this life, so I would have never been able to do stuff like this. This kind of reminds me of, like, the story. Remember we read it a couple episodes back of, like, it was, like, the last day of school, and it was summertime, and all the kids, like, all yes, hung out. And, and the, they were that kind of reminds me of this. Like, damn, I'm living through you guys. I would party alone on the last day of school. I'd be, like, three more years till graduation. <laughs> however Countdown. Many. Yeah, countdown. I remember in fourth grade, I was counting the years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, also, that was because I was lazy. Oh, okay. A big part of it was because I was lazy. Just didn't want to And I work. was like, well, you know, my mom would always be like, it's okay, like, waking up at, like, 6 a.m. She'd be like, one day you'll be in college and you can take classes in the afternoon. And that was truly what the countdown was. Because, <laughs> like, me and my brother waking up at 7 a.m. so we could go to gym class was bullshit. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I don't get how we did it, honestly. True. I don't get how we did it. Anyway. So... Uh, we heard about the sanatorium from one of my friend's older brothers who used to go up there and party. He said it was an old abandoned mental hospital, but for some reason they left everything in its place, like hospital beds, paperwork, gurneys. So creepy. X-ray machines. Yeah. I can't imagine. That shit's um, expensive. Yeah, and uh, it was like something out of a scary movie. My friend's brother had also mentioned that there were a few bums, oh, bums, <laughs> living in the sanatorium. They're just trying to get lit. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> so I was not going up there. At, I was not going up there that first time without a baseball bat or something in my hand. Needless to say, I was feeling a little apprehensive, but I got a bat and we started up the <laughs> That is the kind of attitude I like to I hear. I like that. I'm here for it. When we first got to the top, I'll never forget how breathtaking and big it was. It was, and, and how much real estate to, it took up. We proceeded to the main building, and it was all true. I could not believe what I had seen. There were hundreds of hospital beds, hospital clothing, gurneys, syringes, <gasps> and medical supplies. Oh, all no. Yeah. That's not good. There was broken glass, peeling paint, and patient files everywhere. I found it weird that the exit signs were still lit above the stairway doors. <laughs> the clincher, though, was the body parts that were in a room at the top floor of the main building. What? What? Yeah. So, 
There was a brain, a heart, a slice of a lung, and a tapeworm that was removed from a 40-year-old woman from what it said on the side of the jar. Oh, no. Yeah. So, I mean, luckily, you know, they weren't out and about, but they were in jars. Um, so, I don't think that matters. <laughs> it says they were... They... <laughs> That's still horrifying. Okay. It says they were just sitting there in formaldehyde on a shelf untouched. I don't get it. Why would they leave all of this stuff? It makes you think yeah. that something really shady went down and that the sanatorium was evacuated overnight. So, real quick, do you know that scene in Silence of the Lambs when she goes into the store? Have you ever seen it? Yeah. So, you know that scene when they finally get to go into the storage unit and they find that jar of formaldehyde and uh-huh. then they turn around and it's a head? Uh-huh, Yes. That's what I'm picturing. Oh, for sure. That's terrifying. Okay, at this point, we were all getting a little scared, so we started to make our way downstairs. On our way down, we started to hear loud noises. We got out as fast as we could. After we got home, I could not stop thinking about it and why it was there in that condition. I remember telling my other friends about it and going back up there about three more times that summer. Oh wow, that's, that's a brave. Yeah, after seeing after seeing hearts and a brain and a tapeworm coming out like it came the, out of some yeah. woman, I'm good. The tapeworm would send me. That I would I, yeah, I don't even care as much about the brains and the cuz like we what all What about you, Loki? What do you think? Yeah, Loki, what are your thoughts? Yeah, is he scared by the big trucks outside, the big construction trucks? You know what it is? Is he's needy. He, <laughs> if you don't touch him, he whines. Like he needs to at least have one person's hand on him so he doesn't complain, or like if he just wants to play. Uh, I think he just wants to be set free. Maybe next episode we'll just let him run free and see what happens. Oh, I can't wait to see how that. Turns Stay out. tuned. <laughs> so back to the point. Sorry. I asked some of my older neighbors and town people if they knew any information, but not one person knew what had happened up there. Eventually, my expeditions to the hospital leaked out, and my parents made the sanatorium off-limits for me. About three years passed before I went back, and nothing had changed. I got the same exact feelings as the first time. My friends and I had gotten our licenses, so the next few trips were just pass-bys through the grounds in a car. We did not get out except for one night. It was around Halloween, and my friends and I were having a few beers at a buddy's house, and we started talking about the sanatorium. There were a few people there who had only heard about it but never had been there. We decided to take them on a drive-thru, but I had to go to the bathroom. My friend pulled over by the water towers and let me out. He then drove off and left me there for about four minutes. That's a real long time when you're scared. Yeah. Needless to say, it was not a funny joke. And then we have just one last of, her, of this person's final visit. Holy crap. It's crazy how, how many experiences you have when you're there. I know. My final visit to the sanatorium was in 1989. I was in college working a summer job in Fairfield, New Jersey. I met this girl who was into all the supernatural stuff and enjoyed anything scary. Once I told her about the hospital, she had to see it. One day we had lunch and took a ride up there. It was about 12.45 p.m. We drove up from the Caldwell side, pulled around. We, I, I know exactly where this is. We drove really? up from the Caldwell side, yeah. Pulled around the main building to where it connects to the infirmary and parked almost directly underneath that little bridge or crosswalk that was used to get from one building to another. I was telling her about my experiences when all of a sudden I looked up and we saw what looked like a nurse. Ooh. Just a dark shadow silhouette type of outline 
walking very slowly across the bridge from one <laughs> building to the next. Eerie. It was in broad daylight and as clear as day. I proceeded to drive away as fast as I could. I never went back there, ever. I don't blame you. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, that was really good. So, anyways, that's pretty much the story. I know... At one point, they did put, like, a large, tall, like, chain-link fence around it. Uh-huh. And obviously, like, posted, like, do not enter. I don't of know course, when they did yeah. that because it seemed like... That's probably a while in, ago. In the 70s and 80s, it was pretty easy to get into. Yeah. But I remember it having that, and I remember you could just drive by the top of the hill, so you couldn't really see anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, your turn. All right. Well, my, um, my research, my first story, is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in... West Virginia. So, this asylum was constructed between the years 1858 and 1881, and this this asylum is pretty well known to paranormal investigators because it's on the list of the most scariest asylums, not only in the country, but in the whole world. Ooh! Yeah. So, um, before it was labeled as such, the building was built with much better intentions than how it ended by Thomas Story Kirkbird, who was a doctor. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Kirkbird. His, name, his middle name, Story, last name, Kirkbird. Thomas Story Kirkbird. Yeah. Right. He was a doctor and a crusader for the mentally ill who founded what would in time become the American Psychiatric Association. Okay. So, um... Uh, Kirkbird built on the foundation established originally by famous reformer Dorothy Dix, who sought to disabuse people of the misconception about mental illness, um, like that it was a shadowy, irreversible condition best treated in darkness with force and physical restraint. So they were completely against abuse of people that had mental illnesses and such. Um, They felt like that wasn't the right way, and it was more with positivity Mm -hmm. that would be um, a better treatment for these people. So that's good. Yeah. For now. For now. Uh So even though some of Kirkbird's practices were a little shaky to begin with, it undeniably led to a more humane and all-around more effective plan of treatment for the residents at his asylums. that this was better than any other practice out there for a while. <laughs> Just have to put that out there. That's all good? It was, yeah. Okay. It was good. So, I mean, that, I mean, his intentions to start off with were awesome. Okay. So, let's just go with that for Just now. like a lot of Batman villains, though. Have you seen Joker yet? Yes, no, oh, I didn't. didn't. I want to go. Can we I, go see it? I want to go. We should definitely go, because okay. I heard it's super fucked up, but I'm, I'm all it. for it. Okay. So, um... He emphasized the importance of light and fresh air, suggesting that asylums be built as long halls with 12-foot ceilings, plenty of windows, and ventilation that allowed for cross breezes. He believed in just, you know, not be people being stuffed in in a dark little cell and just feeling like prisoners. He wanted these people to feel open. Did so, they put bars on the windows? Because that's really risky. I don't... I honestly don't know. I, I don't know how the original setup was. Okay. Um, so, he also emphasized freedom. So, to actually go along with the bars, I don't know if there were bars on the windows, but um, he did feel like they should be allowed to roam as much as possible. He felt like they should feel independent, even when they are um, only able to be in this one property. Okay. So um, he believed it also would stimulate their minds, which would help with the mental illness. Yeah. Um, And that they would behave better, not worse, if given more control over their lives. They don't feel like they have to Mm -hmm. rebel. 
So it wasn't like they were just strapped down in their room. They could walk around. Um, but like I said, I don't know if there were bars, so like they don't yeah. like people couldn't jump out or escape <laughs> yeah. or anything like yeah. that. But there was more freedom. Yes, yes. a lot more than any more. Yeah. compared, especially during this time, compared to any mm-hmm. other asylum around. So his ideas inspired the construction of the seventy-three Kirkbride uh, Kirkbird. Or it says Kirkbride. Kirkbride. Yeah, hospitals across the country in the second half of the 19th century, including the train's Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. So by 1881, disaster struck to the hospital. With the sharp increase of mental illness cases, mm-hmm. the hospital had only room for 250 patients, but it still didn't matter because by the 1950s, more than 2,400 people were cramped into that facility. So it was only meant for 250 people, but because of the high demand and no place for them to go, mm-hmm. but they needed to be placed somewhere, 2,400 people Holy were forced. Shit. So clearly the <laughs> amount of freedom uh, to roam these halls and stuff was probably a lot more confined um, than originally planned. Mm-hmm. So, And you do not want sudden change. Mm-mm, definitely no, not, especially no. when you're used to one thing and then all of a sudden over the years more and more people come mm-hmm. and... But um, also the reason why there was a sudden increase in people being admitted to these hospitals were, um, you know, they were being admitted for very trivial things, such as falling from a horse or laziness to ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> laziness, that's That's me. literally me. I should have a whole <laughs> lifetime stay. Um, and including ridiculous matters. I mean, that's not ridiculous enough. Apparently, um, you can get admitted for imaginary female trouble. So God only knows what the fuck that means. Um, like a hysteric pregnancy? Hysterical pregnancy? When women think they're pregnant and they're not? God only knows. It's up or, in the Or air. just like, oh, hey, I'm, whatever. Or, oh, my God, I'm having cramps. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> yes, you're yeah. having cramps. I can picture that, too. Doctor, like, I'm having cramps. No, you're not. That's exactly. imaginary. Yep. That's imaginary. And Go then, walk around for 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> and p- women could also get um, admitted into the hospital for desertion of their husbands. <laughs> and also, they could be admitted for serious cases, including murder and PTSD. So That'll throw you in there. If you haven't noticed, there's a wide spectrum of people entering yeah. this asylum at this point. And <clears throat> unfortunately... Because of the increase of people and the lack of space and room, people were getting all mismatched with people that they were staying in rooms with. So the wrong people were being cooped (laughs) up together, and it came with disastrous consequences. Oh, no. Yep. So... (coughs) And they probably were low on staff, too, since they were used to Mm -hmm. a smaller thing. And then there's this, huh. And also, to be real, people don't want to be working in that high-stress situation with all those people in there. I mean, I wouldn't mind working with someone that, you know, left their husband or was left by their husband, but I don't really want to be in the same room with someone that murdered 20 (laughs) 20 families, you know? So, um, but with that being said, the hospital just couldn't keep up. So conditions began to decline dramatically. Patients were cramped together, sometimes with four or five to a room intended just for one at the time. Holy crap. Yep. So, um... There was also, on this property, it was a huge compound. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a farm and dairy area, um, originally designated to provide for 300, but were unable to meet the increased demand because it came with the overcrowding. Mm -hmm. That the result of that, 
uh, was that patients began to suffer from malnutrition, which only exacerbated mental health uh, issues. Yeah. So um, it was just a complete clusterfuck, to be completely <laughs> blunt. Um, and to expose the terrible conditions within, Charleston Gazette attempted to send in a crew to investigate the inner workings of the asylum because word around town was, you know, this place was just mm-hmm. constantly going down. Yeah. Um, and what they found once they entered shocked them. Ooh, clickbait. Yes. <laughs> so, click. Patients were sleeping on the floor and freezing in freezing rooms due to lack of furniture and heat. The overcrowding had resulted in overworked staff mm-hmm. and decreased emphasis on sanitation. The mm-hmm. once bright, clear windows were covered with grime, darkening and further chilling the rooms. Aww. The wallpaper was peeling from decay where it hadn't disintegrate where it hadn't disintegrated on its own. The patients had just torn it off in panic. Um, Worse were the patients themselves, though. So those whom the orderlies deemed unable to be controlled had been locked in cages in open spaces in an attempt to make more bedrooms available for less worrisome inhabitants. So these people were treated like circus animals, pretty much, at this point. And the asylum had also become a training ground for experimental lobotomies. Um, Mm. As Walter Freeman, who was the famous surgeon and lobotomy advocate, opened up shop there. (laughs) Yeah. for fun? Yeah, they're like, oh, you know what? This place is already going to the shitter. You know what? Let's just do some lobotomies. Yeah, this really fuck somewhere. up our name. Well, there really is no good place to perform a lobotomy when never, you think about it. Never. You know, like, it's not like it's you're at Great Adventure or a spa. Yeah. You know, even if you were, a lobotomy's a lobotomy. I, but you know what? A lobotomy at a nice massage envy doesn't sound too... It's like an like a massage enhancement. Get a lobotomy <laughs> for an extra 55 bucks. Um, so in the course of his lifetime, we're talking about Freeman now, he performed over 4,000 lobotomies, leaving sometimes perfectly healthy patients with lasting physical and cognitive damage. Hmm. And... So let me just warn you guys, for those that are kind of sensitive stomach, um, I'd skip over about 15 seconds ahead, starting now. Um, His ice pick method, which covered slipping a thin pointed rod-like ice pick into the patient's eye socket and using a hammer to force it to sever the connective tissue in the brain's prefrontal cortex resulted in a number of deaths. Hit me when you're done. We're done. I told you, it was 15 seconds. Um, So the expose published by the Gazette spurred a movement to close down the hospital, but it wasn't until 1994, after more than 100 years of squalor, that the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum forever closed its doors. So now, the once ornate building intended for healing but destined for destruction sits abandoned as if the the patient simply vanished into thin air. So that makes you wonder, the people that were there... Whatever happened to them, you know? Like, what? Like there were people still there on the last day. So, like, oh. they, yeah, I mean, like, so they must have transferred them to other places or, you know, you never know. Um, but rooms are just like, uh, just like the one you just talked about, are still filled with medical equipment and decrepit furniture and wheelchairs mm-hmm. just sitting in the hallways. Wow. Kind of eerie. It kind of reminds me of, like, a post-apocalyptic kind of feel, you know? Especially if you look at the pictures and stuff. Yeah. So, two decades since the asylum closed, the staff who work there claim that ghosts continue to roam the halls, and the manager states that once she saw 40 doors suddenly slammed shut simultaneously, whilst other visitors had witnessed a ghost boy standing in the corner of a room. 
So as well as sightings, whispers of forgotten patients have also been reported on top of, yeah, unusual smells, the sound of squeaking gurneys and screams coming from the electroshock room. Yeah. So since 2007, um, tours have been made available for those who wish to see the asylum firsthand. Ghost hunters, the building's most frequent visitors, say mm-hmm. that they have felt the presence of hundreds who perished in shocking conditions. Um, so, yeah, if you guys want to visit this and say an asylum, you totally can. Ah! Um, but it's interesting, though, and I mean, I feel like this is kind of relative to a lot of haunted places that people can come visit. Um, some people have tried to stop these tours from happening because they believe that people are making money off other people's pain and misery. That is fair. Which is, you know, it's true, but um, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's history, and yeah, it's not that that people are celebrating yeah. it. It's, you know. If it's educational, like, you know, and this is the thing. A place like that probably will be explored anyways. You might as well. You, yeah. You, you might as well do it safely. It's like when your mom be like, you can drink, but only drink in the house, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. You know. And it's just, I think, and I think also, at least for people that are going, if I were to go to Trans-Allegheny, I'd want to go there to try to help bring closure to any spirits that may be. Yeah, that would true. be my intention. What would drive me crazy is people who go just to take pictures, like, not pictures of it, but I remember, I forget where I was. I was at some nerd historic place <laughs> in, like, Boston or something, looking around, and there was this girl just, like, taking selfies and then having her picture taken, like, in front of, like, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Betsy Ross's, like, rocking chair where she, like, sewed the first American flag. And she's, like... Posing like, on Like, giving, it. like, an over-the-shoulder, like... Does my butt look good? Like, yeah, right? Like, does my butt look American to you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand, but... I, yeah, it is I, That is yeah. pretty crazy. And I, when I was reading about one of these, I was... There was a little Google review for one of them because it's a real hospital mm-hmm. now, whichever one it was. I don't know if it was one I wound up actually putting in this episode. But someone was like... We're literally like rating five stars to a place that killed thousands of people. This <laughs> is so right. accurate, though. Yeah. So um, I have a few experiences of the Trans Allegheny Asylum that I found. So the first one reads I'm going to jump into what really made me believe that there is truth to some paranormal activities that go on. We were with a single young guide, just my three friends and him. He was telling us how he was the most active that this was the most active floor for some reason, and he had a lot of weird experiences himself on this floor. So we enter a room in which he says he has had the strangest experiences in. He says, okay, I'm just going to sit right here since this is where I sat last time and you communicated with me. He is in mid-sit, about to plop down on the windowsill, then boom! It sounded like something hauled off and full force kicked the old-school heating, cooling metal thing in the room. He jumped up and said, okay, never mind. (laughs) I was freaked out, to be honest, because there was no good explanation for that at all. So there we stand in the middle of this odd room with three small closets. The young guide opens all three doors and places a flashlight in the middle door. It soon starts to turn on extremely bright. It goes dim, then bright, and repeats this. And sometimes stays bright or stays dim. It was very, very weird. I feel like someone is tickling my armpit slash arm, so I looked to my right. My friend had her arm around mine. I thought maybe it was her. Did you just tickle my arm? She looked at me and said no. I was startled, but not, but not too much since I took it as a playful, friendly gesture. My male friend was pinched a few times and mentioned it every time he felt it. <laughs> we sat down and had a bat come out of nowhere and fly around the room and uh, fly around the room a bit. 
The girls were freaking out, but I wasn't. We knew this was a common thing because the guide said the building had occasional bats and birds. The two other guys came into the room panting. They sat down next to us and described in between breaths what they experienced and why they had sprinted all the way to us. They said they were sitting down at the end of the hallway doing a session when all of a sudden they heard walking, then loud running, like something was full speed running towards them. (laughs) I freaked them the the fuck out, and they said they ran as fast as they could to us. They were obviously really startled, so we offered to go back to where they experienced this and sit with them. They were game, so they they took us to where it had happened. Sitting there, none of us really saw, heard, or experienced anything. We just sat there swapping stories of what we had experienced. Mm -hmm. Then I saw a shadowy or multiple things, couldn't really tell, just walking from room to room, it seemed. I mentioned it to the others, but when they all looked down the hallway and focused with me, they could see nothing, neither could I. (laughs) You always get goosebumps in these stories. I love it. Um, so, um, nothing, uh, nothing else happened while sitting there. It was really late, like four in the morning. So we all decided to head back down to the first floor. The young guide we were with, along with myself, were telling what we experienced on the top floor. One of the other guides said, Hey, check your back back. So the young guide took off his shirt. He had largest scratch, largest like scratches across his back. Not deep enough to cause bleeding, but they sure as hell were there. Uh, yeah, so it just seems like there was a cluster of things going on at this point. I don't like, I still, my goosebumps but are this, remaining. But if you, if you listen to this account, you have, he was kind of getting tickled, which was, you know, kind of playful, fun. Yeah. Just like some of the people that probably were admitted there that, you know, they weren't mean, they weren't malicious, they were just there because they had some problems that they needed They needed to get treated. And then you had this guy that is getting scratched up or people running towards them that they were yeah. aggressive. There were killers that were and sent there. You also have hearing things, too. Yeah. They're not just seeing things, they're hearing things, they're feeling things. That's like three out of five senses right there. They just exactly. need to smell and taste. I wouldn't want to smell or taste anything in an asylum. So, oh, hell no. <laughs> this is best case scenario, so, sense-wise. Okay, so I have here talk about paranormal lockdown clip with Lily. So this is what I was talking to you about earlier that oh, I didn't want you saying. I can see it now. So this is at Trans-Allegheny, and I just want you... I, I'm not even going to say anything of what it is. Okay. I want you to see if you notice it at first, and then, of course, I'll post this on Sunday when this actually comes out because we're filming this on a Thursday. But I just want you to look for one second. Okay. I want you to see if you notice anything. Wait, when does it loop? Oh, was that a shadow? Is that what I'm supposed to see? Was that his shadow? Ah, I'm seeing... What? Okay, so I'm just going to tell you. You see that white that's going across? It's as if someone's crawling. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy. And it's literally like crawling, like and it's like looking. It's like yeah, it's, it's like a worm involved right now, guys. This is very how insane is that? It's even <laughs> crawling as if it can't use its legs. <laughs> Lily is holding onto my hand for dear life, and I'm losing circulation. <laughs> how creepy! I watched this like a hundred times. 
this morning. Oh my God. You know what? Here's the weird thing. I saw it and I thought that could be something. And I thought, no, it's probably just a blanket. I didn't look carefully enough to notice it moved. I saw it when it was just there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's nothing. And then you, oh shit. That's a, <laughs> that's terrifying. And you can see, it's not even like a blob is moving. You can see the definition of the arm. It's a leg. whole ass person. It's a whole adult. <sighs> yeah. So that was from Paranormal Lockdown with Nick and uh, Katrina. And we'll, yeah, we'll, I'll post it on Sunday for sure. And I want your feedback. right now. Oh my God. How creepy is that? I am not okay. All right. So on that note, Lily, you tell us your next, uh, (laughs) your next insane asylum you'll be talking about. If if (laughs) Loki literally dropped his toy and was like, uh, okay. So here's what I have for you. I have Danvers State Lunatic Asylum in Massachusetts. So Massachusetts always has good ones. Right? Oh, if you think, okay. This one was, just wait for it. Often referred to today as the Witch's Castle on the Hill, Danvers Danvers State Lunatic Asylum was built in 1878 on a site which was originally a Salem village. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> the first actual location of the Salem Witch Trials in 1962 was where it was built. Um, yeah. Perfect, right? And so there's probably already ghosts. Oh, yeah. And then, um, and, and then, then you're you, just building on top of that? And then you throw people in there, even if they're not, like, even if they... Here's the thing I found. Even if you don't need, like, any form of, like, reformation or help or anything... Of any form, once you go into like an 1800s hospital, you are gonna, you're gonna, you are going to just go crazy. No, yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know yeah. what I mean? And not like odd, like, like the shining crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that people are influenced by their surroundings and the and energy. How they're treated, and, right? Oh, once you're yeah. treated, you go crazy. You get angry. And oh, when yeah. you get angry, you go crazy. It's a you know whole I mean? it's a whole psychological thing. Yeah, this is so this is like worst case scenario. I mean, it's a beautiful building though. So it does. It out. kind of looks like um Hogwarts vibes. Oh sort my of. god, I can see that. Yeah. It's very beautiful. If Hogwarts was like built in New England, <laughs> right? Minus this. Oh, I thought this was a real historical photo, but if you look carefully in the background, there's a water tower. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so it was built on top of like prime Salem territory. So when it started out, it was renowned for its modern treatments and superb patient care. But it superb wasn't... Superb patient care? Alleged. Okay. <laughs> we have to put an asterisk next to that. But it wasn't long before the asylum fell victim to lack of funding, overstaffing, and overpopulation, which caused it to deteriorate into something more like a concentration camp. Ooh. Yeah. That's never so good. between 1940 and 1950, the facility housed more than 2,000 patients in a building, which was designed to house 600. Mm. Patients became haggard and ghostly, often let in comp- often let often let in complete <laughs> Often left in complete isolation. That doesn't sound as hard to say as it is. (laughs) Haggard and ghostly, often left in complete isolation for days on end. That's a new challenge right there. (laughs) 
film yourself trying to say that. The just Ghoulie Things Challenge? Yeah, Just Ghoulie Things Challenge. And you can email us at justghoulithingspodcast at gmail.com. Just <clears throat> throw that out there. <laughs> so things were so bad that, <laughs> I love this, that dead patients would go unnoticed for days. Oh my if God. Not weeks. <gasps> and like the smell didn't set that- off a red flag? That mean that must it have must been. have smelled in the first place. If you oh. can't smell a dead body, that means it probably smelled, smelled right? like yeah. It was probably already a deathly smell in there. Ugh. Yeah. Um. So in 1992, it was closed down, demolished, and renovated into the set of apartments it is today. So despite this haunted, insane asylum being torn down and reconstructed as a different property, bizarre activity and paranormal sightings still abound. Still about. I don't even... <laughs> Residents and visitors have recorded full-body apparitions, flickering lights, the sound of unexplained footsteps, and doors opening and closing on their own. And so there's some of that, too, also that I'll post. But some other fun facts is that there was a horror movie released in 2001 called Session 9. I've and never it was heard filmed of that. There. So the plot is it's around a crew tasked with cleaning up an asbestos, like problem at an abandoned mental asylum of okay course. yeah also i have to watch that now i'm interested yeah it sound you know it sounds like something but hp lovecraft also is believed to have based arkham sanatorium on danvers state hospital Oh, so, I wonder if they if I wonder when they filmed um if they when they filmed that movie if they had any experiences while filming like anything paranormal honestly they probably did and something like that yeah. especially what, oh, it doesn't... If I was going to say, if it was set way, 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 way back, too... Oh, yeah. It could have stirred up even more like stuff. Like residual haunting or yeah, something. Yeah. Like, hey, there's a mental patient from 1909. I'm a... You know what I mean? Yeah. That's me, too. And then they really feel more comfortable, and then it's just a shitstorm of ghosts. At least you don't have to pay for extras. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been paid as an extra? Like, paid, paid, or No. Like, paid good money? Yeah, because I no. need $60 once. I guess, like, $100, $110 for 10 hours. Like, ridiculous amount. I was talking to someone about what extra work is like, and I'm like, there's equity and non-equity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... I know. I literally, like, people ask me all the time, like, oh, would you do extra work? The only extra... I did... The first thing I ever did that was, like, a legit thing was extra work on... A movie and I literally left halfway through because I didn't expect it okay so they said it was an overnight shoot I did not know they literally met until like 3 4 in the morning when we got there like 5 p.m. the day before yes. and it was freezing we were outside in dresses it was horrible so I said like something came up and I had to leave at like 2 in the morning I was miserable That's and I was like I'm never doing that again the only thing I've ever done that was like extra work since then has been like featured stuff or like I know I'm actually going to be seen on it because yeah. you get paid more Yeah, and um, it's less demanding people don't realize how much it is just I was I have this ongoing joke I actually <laughs> made that joke this morning to my dad he thought it wasn't funny we were watching um, what was it we were watching The Office, and there's like they're at like a stoplight, and you can just see like the other person, like mm-hmm. or some shit, like just like talking like to yeah. someone else. And I'm like, that's my role. Do you see? Isn't that really fuzzy? You can't tell, but that's me. That's actually me. That's the roles I get, Dad. And he was like, don't put yourself down. But I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, that's that. That's a good one. I actually oh, had the the opposite, right? 
I had the opposite of the cold. I was in a uh, flashback 1950s scene. I was actually just talking about this too, with a wool sweater on, um, and then like a, a cardigan, like a short sleeve sweater, and then a cardigan, and like a heavy wool skirt because it was fall in the 1950s. But mm-hmm. in reality, it was like August. Uh-huh. We were all in this old church, and I was sweating. Yeah, and I was like this. This may not be for me. They always do. They always do seasons opposite when yeah. filming, and, and it's the worst thing for and, the actors. And it's not even worth it because, like, you can't see me. Yeah, it's literally if you could, you'd see the back of my head. And it's like, is the money really worth it? Like, ooh, sixty dollars. That was yeah. literally gas money. Ex- exactly. Because I had to. I you know. But it was nice. It's fun. Like it's just fun experiencing the whole onset thing. But yeah. when you're actually trying to make a living off it, it's not so completely nice. different. All right, anyway, sorry about that, guys. Oh, my bad. So, anyways, uh, confirmed hauntings. There's only one confirmed haunting. So, only one apparition has been documented, documented. Okay. It says many ghost hunters snuck into the property before demolition. Very few of them captured any, like, provable evidence. And in most cases, they got footsteps and a few shadows. Yeah. But there's only been one eyewitness report to surface over the years. Geraldine Levasseur, mm, is, fancy. I don't know if that's how that's pronounced, but we're going to pretend it is, stated she saw a ghost when she lived there as a child. Wow. The ghost pulled the sheets off her bed and manifested as an older, scowling woman. She said she never felt threatened by the ghost, but she said it only appeared one time. Hmm. So. Who is this person? I don't know, but li- living there as a child... First of all, probably wasn't great. Second of all, that could have been a witch ghost from the days of Salem. The Salem Ooh, witch yes. <laughs> that scared the crap out of me at first. Oh my god, I just pictured the crawling woman. It's a bat noise. Loki. You think Loki's the crawling the crawling woman? Anyways, now they have apartments there. Um, so now they're oh, it's a, it's I think all, we talked about, about this um, in our Salem episode. Yeah. I feel like we talked about this place a little bit. Or maybe I just researched it and didn't talk about it on that. Well, this was from the list that I saw that you probably also read. (laughs) But also from 1920 to 1945, the hospital and its staff committed horrible acts, including lobotomy. Oh, mine and bunch you. Yeah, and restraining children for days at a time. Oh, my God. The negative energy left a massive psychic imprint in the dark and decaying halls. So, you know. That's, uh... Just fucked up things. That's that on that. Oh, all right. Yes, but the, the this article, one of the articles just ends with, we'll see what reports emerge for the new yeah. apartments. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So mine, next one, is the Waverly Hill Sanatorium located in Kentucky. So this is also something that's um, a, a pretty famous sanatorium because it was researched by ghost hunters. I know, I believe this is the one that... Um, Ghost Hunters, I think, did like a Halloween live. Oh, remember, I remember when they used to do those? those? Oh, love that. Watch those on Halloween, and they were just there but for the trick, like forty-eight we, hours. Yeah, so but fun. We would watch my family. We'd watch, but we also had trick or treaters and a really loud dog who would bark. So we'd like record it and watch it later. But it wasn't the same as like when live. Like, yeah, we'll do it live because Sorry. then like you could like go onto your desktop and like. <laughs> Send in like, oh, I think I saw something. Yes! And yeah, 
Yes, oh, I miss that. Okay, so Waverly Hill Sanatorium sits on land that was originally purchased by Major Thomas H. Hayes in 1883. Major Hayes was in need of a school for his daughters to attend, so he started a one-room schoolhouse that was located on Page's Lane. I love that he was so progressive and wanted his daughters to go to school. <laughs> you go, Major Hayes. So he hired a woman named Lizzie Lee Harris to teach at the school, and her love for the tiny school, in addition to her fondness for, uh, fondness for Scott's Waverly novels, prompted her to name the, t- the little schoolhouse Waverly School. Major Hayes liked the name and chose to keep his property Waverly Hill. So um, then when um, the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital, um, when they purchased the land, they just kept the name and opened the sanatorium. So construction on this building began in 1908 and opened for business on July 26th of 1910. The building was designed to safely accommodate about 40 to 50 tuberculosis patients, so not a lot. And at the time, tuberculosis was a very serious disease, and people were afflicted with tuberculosis, were isolated from the general public, and placed in in an area where they could rest, stay calm, and have plenty of fresh air. And so that's why the sanatorium was built. They needed more because so many more people were getting diagnosed with this. Mm -hmm. Um, Sanatoriums were were built on high hills surrounded by peaceful woods to create a serene atmosphere to help the patients recover. That's I mean, really sweet. If you don't want to have to recover from tuberculosis or anything too bad, you could always just get vaccinated. Oh! Wait. Are we going to keep that in there? Yes, we are. Okay. I have no shame. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, tuberculosis was becoming an epidemic in Valley Station, Pleasure Ridge Park, and other parts of Jefferson County in Kentucky. And the little tuberculosis clinic was filled with more than 140 people, and it was obvious that a much larger hospital was needed to treat those afflicted with the condition. Um, and because tuberculosis, tuberculosis, tuberculosis was so extremely contagious at an epidemic proportions, those living with it could not be allowed to live and exist amongst the general population. It was not known at the time that tuberculosis was an airborne disease. So they knew it was like... Oh, yeah, no, this is way, 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 yeah. way, way back. They yeah. didn't have... I almost said they didn't have diseases. They, they didn't have... The research, yeah, I think, no. What, what was it? Polio vaccine was in, like, the 40s? Was it? I'm not sure. Let me honestly. see. So um, while you're researching that, <laughs> when the building was in operation, there was such a tremendous amount of deaths and patients that occurred at the Waverly Hill Sanatorium that a special chute was built, which led to the bottom of the hill down below the sanatorium. And one, uh-huh. of, the name, yep, and one of the names of the chute was commonly known as the death tunnel. And some independent researchers... This is interesting. Suggests that 162 people died at Waverly Hills in 1945. So the highest total number um, possible deaths over 50 years is approximately 8,212. But then other accounts say 60,000. So I'm getting a bunch of numbers of like, so there's no confirmed um, amount of how many people died on this property. Okay, here we go. Real quick, while we're on the topic. uh, First of all, also, I don't think that they... Vaccinate against TB. But I do know. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Am I too close to the mic? No, you're good. Okay. But what I do know is that um, the polio vaccine, the first one, was developed in the 1950s. So I was wrong. You weren't too off. Well, that's true. It's not like I said 1999, but still. <laughs> I would have I said 1999. Yeah. Waverly Hills was a self-contained community, a city 
in and of itself and complete with its own zip code. No that's how, way! Yeah, that's how isolated that they became just because, you know, these people needed to kind of ha- live a separate life from people that didn't have tuberculosis. That's, it was that's that, torture. Yeah. So um, with, with the zip code, Waverly Hills had its own post office, water treatment facility, grew its own fruits and vegetables, raised its own meat for slaughter, and maintained many other necessities oh. of everyday life. So kind of like the Trans-Allegheny where they had like their own like, yeah. little farmland, this literally was a whole community. Was this done in the style? I, there's some that are just big buildings, but one they called... I forget what they called it, but it was like a community style. So there were smaller buildings, almost like kind of like here, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in my like Like complex. Yeah, yeah. Closer to like a uh, complex, there was one that had like almost like a hub, Mm -hmm. and there were like residential buildings, and then they all met. They all met. Yeah, yeah, almost like kind of like dorm, not dorming, but you know what I mean. Kind of like it. It was instead of being locked in one big building all together, there were several smaller buildings with groups of people. And that way there was more of a community because you had people to be with, but then you were also all, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I feel like it keeps you from feeling less like a prisoner and like your yeah. own still kind of independence in a way. Yeah. Here. Um, so um, it says here that... Actually, also, sorry, because no, a lot of them didn't have much time. <laughs> <laughs> time was not on their side. This is That's terrible to say, but... They were living their best life as long as they could. Mm-hmm. So everyone at Waverly... Not only just the patients, but nurses, doctors, and other employees had to say goodbye to everything they knew on the outside world. Because once you went to Waverly Hills, you became a permanent resident on the hill. Uh, yeah, once you were in, you weren't getting out. But oddly enough, despite that fact, many patients received visits from loved ones on visiting days. So when the visit was over, the visitors left Waverly and ventured back out into the community, but no one else there. That makes no sense. Right? But whatever. So, and it's interesting because if this was an airborne disease, how did, like, the doctors and the nurses not get tuberculosis? Those masks? I guess. But they weren't wearing them all the time. I don't, I don't know. Weird. Maybe some of them did. I don't know. I don't know. I, that, that always intrigued me, but whatever. That's for another thing. Um, so the massive collegiate Gothic-style sanatorium remains standing on Waverly Hill today. It could accommodate at least 400-plus patients um, and was considered one of the most modern and well-equipped facilities at the time. So construction of the sanatorium began in March 1924 and opened for business on October 17, 1926. The facility served as a tuberculosis hospital until 1961 when this discovery of an antibiotic had successfully treated and cured TB rendered the facility obsolete. It was closed down and quarantined, then renovated. And then in 1962, the building reopened as Woodhaven Medical Service, which was a geriatric facility. And then Woodhaven Medical was closed by the state in 1981. So it was a bunch of different things in a relatively um, small period of time, Um, about, yeah, it's about like 100 years or so. Um, So today, Waverly Hill Sanatorium is known by many as the most spiritually active place in the world, with paranormal reports every single day. The terrifying reports surround the story of a nurse who who hung herself by a light bulb wire when she discovered she had become pregnant out of wedlock by the owner of the sanatorium. (gasps) The tea is is real. That is drama. Yes. So, 
Many unusual sightings have also been spotted in the area known as the Death Tunnel, where dead bodies were disposed of, the one I was talking about. Understandably so. And various paranormal TV shows have spent time recording at Waverly Hill Sanatorium, including the cast of Most Haunted, one of whom had scratches inflicted upon their body during their visit. That's insane. So, um, as of right now, the... Waverly Hills, if you go visit it, mm-hmm. it's vandalized, damaged, nearly condemned. And okay. previous property owners had no desire to maintain the building's luster and did little to stop people from slowly destroying it. It's sad to see that like a place like this that played such a vital role during this period of history and medical discovery was not only over, but it was now completely disrespected by Aww. just people trespassing and just, you know graffitiing the walls and everything. Um, but in 2001, Waverly Hill Sanatorium was purchased by a historical and paranormal enthusiast, actually two, Charles and Tina Mattingly. And since then, there have been many changes and improvements to the building and surrounding property, which is nice. I'm actually smiling right? at this. Like- <laughs> the paranormal community come together. And Charles, Tina, and the Waverly Hills Historical Society continue to work tirelessly and devote their lives to restoring the historical gem that is Waverly Hills, so it's once a Amazing splendor. Oh, so it's interesting because you know you don't really hear that many horror stories about Waverly Hills. It's just yeah. unfortunately, you know, people did die because yeah. it was tuberculosis. Those are the horror stories. Those, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you know, I didn't really see any documented abuses or anything like okay. that coming from this place. It was just you know people were sick and they needed a place to stay and they tried their best to accommodate as many people as they can yeah. and they built and built on it because once. A 50, it was for 50 people, and then all of a sudden it you know, grew to 600. So um, I have a couple experiences that I found online. So mm-hmm. this one reads, here's an encounter of the paranormal. Again, I promise you on my life this is a true story because my friends know me as a brutally honest guy. It has to be legit. I want to send him my selfies and ask him which one I should post. <laughs> and like, when which says, one do you think, stranger? But then you can't be upset if he says none. No, I'd understand. <laughs> I'd 100%. I'd be like, yeah, you know you know what? Good call. Call me. Good call. <laughs> a couple of friends of mine and myself decided to go to the notoriously haunted Waverly Hill Sanatorium about a year and a half ago. I am a paranormal enthusiast, and I love ghost hunting. We didn't bring a camera or even a recorder because we just wanted to experience the sanatorium for what it really was and not as a tourist attraction. Anyway, my friends and I were walking through the sanatorium level by level. We were told a nurse died on the fourth floor, and some people say they've even seen her apparition. While we were on the first level, we really didn't get anything, although we heard some loud banging sounds, but they were coming from above us on the second level, and we knew for certain we were the only ones there at the time, and we still couldn't explain the noise. So we decided to stay as a group, since two of my friends are complete scaredy cats, (laughs) literally even in amusement in amusement haunted houses, it scares the hell out of them. Me, so, me, <laughs> me, me. Anyway, we got to the second level, and as soon as we got up there, we heard the banging again at the other end of the hall as we go to check it, and it continues, and then the banging stops abruptly, and we check some of the rooms. Most of them were empty, but some had gurneys. That's just crazy. <laughs> As we reach the end of the hall, we enter a room with two gurneys, a chair, and a bedside table, the ones with wheels that is used to assist patients in eating. It was flopped over along with the chair, um, which could have been the source of the banging, but the room didn't look like anyone had entered or even had been in the room to begin with. We then decided to go to the third floor but had no activity, but it wasn't until we reached the fourth floor that we ended up getting some crazy activity. The first thing we heard was an audible crying sound from what possibly could have been a small girl. As we traveled the hall, we checked the rooms. 
No sign of people or ghosts. About halfway down the hallway, we heard this shrilling scream. But it wasn't a scream out of pain. It was out of pure horror. At least that's how I can describe it, because there is really no other way to describe it. The creepy thing is, is it didn't come from one direction. It sounded like it was coming from everywhere above, around, and below. I don't like that. My friend Justin and I looked at each other... We both love this stuff, so we were more intrigued than scared, but my other friend Ryan said he wanted to leave. But I assured him that everything was fine and nothing was going to happen. I was wrong to say that because coincidentally, after I said that, Kevin, the fourth one in the group, said he heard someone telling us to leave now. Ugh. I didn't take that as true because the rest of us didn't hear it. <laughs> Probably should have, but... It wasn't until a few minutes later that we decided to bolt out of there after hearing a low male voice a little above a whisper that sounded utterly terrifying because he sounded like he was threatening us, but all he said was, run. And he said it menacingly, like he wanted us to run so that he or it could chase us for fun. Uh, I can hear it. Like, you know, that, like, run. Yeah, yeah, literally. That's what I hear. It was the. Hello. It was at this point we noped the hell out of there. Yeah. We haven't been back since, but I hope to go back with equipment and see what I can capture. Hopefully, I'll do this soon and upload my findings here. So then, the second experience that I have reads: I visited Waverly Place back in July of 2012 and had three other investigators with me: Eric, Tommy, and Debbie. If you have never seen the building before, it is worth looking up. It's huge and incredible to see in person. After the fifth floor, we made our way back down to the first floor. I move around. I moved around according to the pull of the energy in the building to the electroshock therapy room. Um, in here, we decided to do separate, uh, separate with each of us in a different corner of the room. It's a big room. We decided to conduct an SB7 spirit box session, and we were not disappointed. Please note that there was virtually zero radio interference due to the building's location and distance from any major cities or radio towers. We started with the usual introductory statements and asked the usual questions. What I look for is intelligence, so I tried to elicit real-time responses from any entities that might be present. I said out loud that we have come a long way to speak with them and that we traveled all the way from New York. I asked if they knew where New York was. A female voice came through the box north. Uh-huh. Having received an intelligent response, I asked if she could tell me more. Uh, tell me the name of any one person on my team. The same female voice came through and said, Thomas. Naturally, we were impressed. We continued on. Having received two intelligent responses, both in the same female's voice, I said, I'm hearing a female. Do we have a lady here? What came next was disturbing. Three different voices, dark voices, came through, joined together, saying, don't speak with her. This sent chills down my spine. I started asking questions like, who am I speaking with now? Why can't I speak to her? What do you want with her? I told them that they had no right to keep her and told them to let her go. If they ever did, I do not know. I know, it's scary. We did not receive We did not receive another response from those dark voices, nor did we hear from the nurse, as I presume that is who we were communicating with in this room again. We moved on. Next, we went back upstairs, this time to the fourth floor's main operating room. Liking the idea of using trigger objects, objects relative to a particular point in time or history, which might be familiar to the entities that resided there, I brought desk masks with us to simulate as doctor's mm-hmm. masks. In this room, Eric looked, uh, took on the role as the doctor. We started another spirit box session, and Tommy asked, Do we have any nurses here that can help us? A female voice responded, Yes. I then asked, do we have a nurse here? Can you come over to the doctor and let him know that you're here and that you're ready? Again, the voice 
said, here. I asked, you're here? Nurse, how many patients do we have on the list for today? The female voice responds, three. My theory here is that she recognized Eric as a doctor, and perhaps she thought the other three of us were his patients. The conversation continued. Tommy, what's the first step? Nurse, give him first aid. We asked more questions like this, but she did not respond to him. The next question she did respond to was mine approximately four minutes after her previous response. Me, can you tell us any of our names? We are the doctor's assistants. Nurse, three. We continued trying to convince, uh, converse with her, but this was the last response she gave us. I felt that after a few minutes of her silence, she had left the room. So I don't, I don't know if I, I don't remember saying this or realizing, but I didn't know they had an electric shock therapy room. So that doesn't sound good. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't all peachy like a lot of the reports say about you know this place being you know all positive and being a community and. There must have been some really shady stuff going on there, too. But I feel like in all those places, there's... Well, that's also, like... I mean, and when you think about it, they were surrounded by death. Yeah. Right? And that's... I mean, honestly, it's kind of... It must have been bittersweet when they closed because... (laughs) (laughs) Because, think about it, they closed because there was a cure. Was was it the vaccine? The, The yeah. Or was it... Okay. Yeah. So they weren't needed anymore, which is a good thing because you're not needed for, like, this chronic illness that's, yeah. like, plaguing and blah, 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 all that drama, right? So you're done with that. But at the same time, now what? What else can you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of around It's like there. they had that as, like, you know, as a place that they can yeah. conduct more experiments and yeah, right? figure out other issues yeah. that are going on. Yeah. It's just weird. <laughs> weird, weird, weird. <laughs> all right. Shenanigans so- goes to shenanigans. Just ghouly things. So, uh, Lily, what is your next? So, my next and final one is the Old Tool Hospital in Utah. Utah. And when you say it, it sounds like you're saying O'Toole, like the last name, all like Irish-like and whatnot. But it's Old Tool Hospital. Or O'Toole. T-O-O-E-L-E. Okay. I'm assuming it's Tool. I would have said Tool But it could be like Tolly or something. I don't know. If I'm wrong, I'm sure people will let me know. <laughs> so in 1987, Old Tool Hospital started out as a family house. In 1913, it was transformed into what was known as the country poorhouse, where the elderly and those who had special needs were taken care of. By 1953, the building had changed once again into the Old Tool Hospital, which featured improved accommodation for, pati- for patients the added benefit of individual bathrooms and a dedicated morgue. (laughs) At least they knew what to expect. Yeah. (laughs) So before it was closed down in 2001, the hospital made its name by being the filming spot for Stephen King's The Stand. Ooh. So over the years, it has been the site of a multitude of hauntings and various reports of paranormal activity. An Alzheimer patient known as Wes is said to haunt the hospital, with his favorite site being the room he was admitted to when he was alive. Mm. Yeah. Many other ghostly characters have been sighted in the hospital, including a young child of Samuel F. Lee himself, the man who originally built the house for him and his family in 1897. One of the most chilling reports at Old Tool Hospital is the sound of a child's voice uttering the words, Daddy shot sorry. 
Hmm? This is creepy enough on its own, but gets even more alarming when you find out that the Utah Ghost Organization claims these words come from a ghost of a child who was accidentally shot by his father. Ah! Yeah. So I couldn't find, like, an actual recording of it or anything. Yeah. But, you know. That's so weird. Yes. What are the odds? I found a few experiences on, like, a tourist site. Okay. So this one says... um, you may find it interesting to know that a portal is said to exist at Old Tool Hospital. I'm just, you know, a spiritual I, I, portal. Right? Yeah. Like, I like how they said it so casually. They're like, oh, by the way, it's like, find it interesting. Um, and no, there's a four-way stop around the corner, but you can't <laughs> see because there's a blind spot. Right? Like, that's how they're yeah. phrasing that. So casually. So it's said that a nurse by the name of Maria guards the portal. The spiritual portal contains a, vi- a very bright light in which the deceased are highly attracted in, in which the deceased are highly attracted to. That oh. um, the individuals that have died while being cared for in their old age often go towards the light, believing it's their portal to the peaceful afterlife. However, Maria informs them on the other side that this is not the area they should go to. A psychic medium that toured the facility and did her own investigation confirmed this, situ- this information. Hmm. Yeah. And then... I'm still stuck on the whole portal thing. Yeah. And then I found a bit more on Wes. So it said that he also haunts the structure. And he passed away um, and is still kind of a bit confused and scared about it. So he had Alzheimer's, as, you know, they said. And at the time of his death, um, that's how... (laughs) I'm sorry. The microphone's in my way again. Let me just move this. Here we go. He had Alzheimer's disease, and at the time of his death, it's believed that he had the confusion from this condition and continu- and continues to kind of be burdened by it Aww. in death. That so, sucks. So that's why he's known to stay in that room when he was first assigned to. That's all he knows. And Yeah. Um, so a medium came into the hospital and attempted to assist him in crossing over, as he should, into the afterlife, but she didn't succeed. She discovered that there is an entity that stays very close to him when he is in the hallway. Mm. The entity is described as being very dark. Oh, could this be the one that also was telling the... Oh, wait, that's so weird. That kind of reminds me of, like, the... I meant to say, it kind of reminds me of the the voice that was saying, like, you know, don't talk to her from my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. There's... Uh. I'm getting I'm getting chills. Oh, just let Wes go. Let my man go. <laughs> Leave Wes alone. Um, and then there is another story of interest when it comes to Old Tool Hospital. So the story um, claims that the popular Samuel F. Lee, you know, continues to walk the floors of the structure. Mm-hmm. So it's said that people in general, and he would help not just the community and buildings and everything, but he would also help people, and he wants others to know (laughs) that he did all this stuff. So his son Thomas, who has been estimated to be between six and eight years old, often lingers around his father. So he's a playful spirit, and he thoroughly enjoys people and playing little jokes on the guests. And then they said that there's a picture that you can catch a glimpse of Samuel. I clicked it. And I don't know what happened, but it took me to, like, a blood pressure website. 
Uh, so, I'm gonna, okay. so I didn't even get to see this picture, but apparently Samuel's a real jokester. Maybe he doesn't want you to see the picture. Exactly. So that's that's a wrap on um, the old tool. That's really all oh, I could find. Cool. There was not a lot of some of these experiences I found on Reddit mm-hmm. for the other ones. Some I found on the actual websites, but there was not a lot. I mean, there wasn't really even, there weren't even many websites about this hospital. Okay. And what website? I've never even heard of it, so. Yeah. But it was one of the more interesting ones, and it, I don't know, it struck me. I also like that it was in Ohio, because I feel like we do tend to stay to the East Coast. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of stuff is just in, like, Massachusetts and New York, and and when it's in the South, it's like Georgia. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, you don't really hear about the Midwest, sort of. The Midwestern. And there's not... I've never heard of a Southern California haunted asylum, ever. That's so true. That's so true. Right? Okay. I did did do that one, uh, the haunted school. Yes. Yes. I did do the haunted school. So there's some stuff going on out there. If you see anything interesting happening out West, email... Happening out West! (laughs) I mean, happening out West... Email us at justcoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Well, we, I, did do that, um, I did do that Instagram questionnaire where I asked where people are from. We have people from all over the world, yeah. which is pretty crazy. And I saw a couple SoCals out there, so you better send us your stories. <laughs> yes, see? Thank you. Um, yeah, I thought it was... I just talk about that real quick. I thought it's so cool to see how many people listen to us. It was like, insane. Why? <laughs> why do you listen to us? <laughs> I remember no, like, when we hit 1,000 followers, I was like, oh my God, and now I'm like, why? Yeah, that's crazy. My memes are doing better, though. We're, yes. It's just going up Some of up them are here. still stolen, but if it's got the watermark, it's a, it's a Ghoulie Things original. Yeah. OG. Okay. So my third and final asylum I'll be talking about and to conclude this episode is the Penhurst Asylum located in Pennsylvania. So the Penhurst (laughs) State School and Asylum, originally called the Eastern Pennsylvania Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic, was authorized for construction in 1903. It was conceived as a state-funded and operated facility to house any individual deemed quote-unquote feeble-minded and thus unable to function in normal society. This included physically and mentally disabled persons, individuals with abnormalities, um, physical or uh, psychological, mute, deaf, blind people. Um, It also included those with offensive habits and imperfect speech. So when admitted... Sad. Yeah, I mean, things that commonly now, I mean, we, you know, we encounter that we don't even think twice about, you know. Um, so when admitted, patients were classified physically either as imbecile or insane, classified mentally as healthy or epileptic, and classified dentally as having good teeth, uh, having teeth either good, poor, or treated. So they were judging people treated based on their good teeth. Or bad? Is treated like they're in the process or treated um, like you like, like they're getting like you're working on it, oh okay. I guess that's okay. what I, that's what I got from that okay but yeah I mean they're judging you by your damn teeth I mean uh, while we're on this list of criteria to be committed why don't we throw lazy in there like that other one I like I liked that I liked that yeah. I was totally yeah my ass true would be I am like ready for the IV oh hell yeah and I'm lazy I'm not ready for anything ha <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that was terrible <coughs> I'm choking are I'm you allergic own. to my jokes yeah, I'm always into Lily's bullshit. So, as time went on, the institution would be pressured to also house and hold immigrants, criminals, and orphans. 
It became the solution. Pretty much, this place became the solution for a ridding society of the undesirables. Aww. Really fucked up. And in fact, the institution's campus functioned as a self-contained city. Just like what I was talking about with the Waverly Place as well. Yeah, they had it set up. <coughs> it wasn't just lock and key. But, I mean, this place was just... Like like the chains Allegheny, they started just putting anyone in there. Good, bad... You know, it's mismatched. Yeah, really, really fucked up. And in 19 and then it gets worse. So in 1913, legislature created a commission for the care of the feeble minded, which declared that disabled individuals were both unfit for citizenship (gasps) and a menace to the peace. It called for such people to be taken into custodial care by the government, and this served to keep disabled people away from the general population for everyone's safety. That's as well insane. as to keep them from reproducing. What? Very fucked up. Yeah. And then, even more disturbing than that, such a facility existed, is that it existed for so long. So by the 1960s, Penhurst became home to about 2,791 people, almost 900 more than maximum capacity. And in 1968, a young reporter did a short TV series on Penhurst, which was the first that most people had even heard about the institution. Um, And when this show aired, many were appalled by the images that they saw on their TV sets, including individuals being chained to adult-sized cribs and children in cages. Mm. So probably the most chilling scene in this 30-minute documentary footage um, is that it showed one of the hospital's physicians describing how he f- how he dealt with a particularly vicious bully who had brutalized one of his other inmates. See how they call them inmates, too? That's he described how he had asked one of his colleagues which injection he could use to cause the most discomfort to a patient without permanently injuring him. What? Then he proceeded to administer that injection to the bully. Holy shit! This kind of reminds me of American Horror Story, like Asylum. I didn't watch it. Yeah, this guy, just like the, like, um, you know, like Sarah Paulson, she goes in as a reporter because she mm-hmm. hears about this um, asylum and the treatment there, and then she ends up getting pretty much, like, locked in there herself that, and becoming a patient. Honestly, this is sounding more and more like that. I think it was in the, was it the, I think it might have, I don't know when it was, but it was somewhere between, like, the 50s and the 70s. 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't know when, but I know the footage is black and white, and it's not that old. They did in, I don't remember where, but in this big college, they did this social experiment where they just put a bunch of people in, like, a prison-like area, and then it, the social experiment was how do they survive with no, like, enforcement, and, like, the people had to become... Some people took on the role of, like, the officer, the warden, and other people were just beaten senseless. Who would agree to be a part of that? Do they have a choice? I don't know if they did agree. I don't know. I literally do not know enough about this to be talking this intensely about it, but I know that that's the gist of what happened. I have to look into this. I saw just a short, like, YouTube clip on it. I don't remember when, and I don't remember why. It, it, it was probably in one of those, like, YouTube spiraling. You watch one video, and then it says, you should probably watch this. Yes. And then it's, like, 3 a.m., and yeah. you're, like, You just let autoplay do the work shit. for the yeah. evening. Yeah, it was, it was that, and it was... I mean, 
there's uh, there's a bunch of stuff about it, and I'll look into it and see everything that I didn't know. And I, I think I might actually almost rather know less because it's really upsetting. Really messed but, up. Yeah, it, there was shit like that going on. But I mean, like it. I mean, like with history. I mean, this is stuff you have to talk about so that history doesn't repeat itself. Absolutely. So, anyway, allegations of abuse surfaced in the following years. It wasn't until 1987, however, that the facility finally closed. What interests me is that a lot of these asylums that we're talking about, they closed pretty much, like, I mean, not too long ago. I mean... In the grand scheme of things. Yeah, no. So, it's kind of crazy that, like, when our parents were alive, some of these these facilities were still in the works. Yeah. So, um... Like, in 1987, that's when my parents met. Like, that's, you know, like, they were old enough to, you know, be in relationships and, you know, this was and still there going were on. other people who were there locked up. It's, it's weird, so yeah. fucked up. Like, remember after I watched something about it once, I met, and it was similar. It was something about locking away young adults with, like, uh, speech impediments mm-hmm. or whatever because that meant they couldn't handle life. Yeah, the kind of like here. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked back on a kid I knew as a child who would go to speech therapy. And I remember thinking, like, because I was like, oh, like, that's so cool that they did that. Like, they had a place for them. And I was like, like, the alternative, like, if this was however many years ago, like, he'd be stuck there. Yeah. That's mess- super that's messed so up. That's so fucked up. I mean, just because you have a speech impediment doesn't mean that that stops you from learning any differently than other people. Yeah. Or, yeah. or make you a difficult person to be around. Yeah. I don't... I, I mean, I'm difficult for other reasons. I'm just a piece just, of shit all over. Yeah, I'm just a, an overall obnoxious human being, so yeah. I don't... Just lock me up. I'm yeah. lazy. Anyway... So, the closure came about after Penhurst lost a large legal dispute filed from a former resident who reported intense emotional, physical, and psychological abuse suffered at the hands of her nurses and caregivers. And apparently, those in positions of power were not only hurting the patients and residents themselves, but also arranging for patients to bully and assault each other. It's pretty much like a whole dogfight. It's crazy. So, of course, today, the asylum is shrouded in ghost tales and reports of paranormal activity, and as of 2010, one building was partially reopened as the Pennhurst Asylum Haunted House, and some visitors claimed to hear voices, shrieks, and murmurs of pain from former residents and inmates of this facility. So there, I, when I was doing my research, there's an actual website that you guys can go on, and if you Google search the Pennhurst Project, it'll probably be the first link that you click. It's, um, it curates first-hand accounts of the hospital from patients and staff members um, with the aim of presenting an unbiased account of what actually happened there. So Ooh. people actually tell their accounts of not only working there and what they saw, but people that were there and what they experienced. Because, like I said, a lot of That's people a- that were there, they can speak <laughs> for themselves. Like, they didn't have to be there. So, yeah. That's... That's... That, that, that's going to be mm-hmm. cool. And that's crazy to think that there are people that, like, are writing their accounts on the story because this closed down not too long ago. That like, yeah. they're still alive. And you think of all of these all of these things and that you read, like, the lobotomies happening. Like, you look back and, like, if it wasn't your lifetime, it was your parents. And if it wasn't your parents, it was their parents. Crazy. And it's, like, within that, that's insane. Yeah. Like, I know I can talk to my, my grandfather particularly, and he knows everything about everything because he was there. Yeah. It's you nuts. know what I mean? It's nuts. Um, and But I do want to put, um, before I go into the experiences, that 
even though I'm ending kind of on a negative note because this place was really messed up, if there is a silver lining to Penhurst being created, is that the horrors suffered there led to sweeping reform. So its dark legacy actually changed the way um, of the American legal system as well as society treats those with special needs. So like you said before, the kid that you had in your class that had speech problems he wouldn't be able to be offered those sources in a public yeah. school compared to, you know, if this, you know, if all this legal stuff didn't kind of come into play. Yeah. So that's just unreal to me. Yeah. But um, so some of the experiences that I found online, uh, the first one that I read was actually um, based off of the Shore Paranormal Research Society, uh, which is SPRS. They're based in Ocean County, New Jersey, actually, and they're a paranormal ch- uh, team. They're trained individuals whose sole purpose is to find the truth behind claims of paranormal activity. And according to Jim Ansbach, which is the group's founder and case manager, Penhurst is rife with such activity. The group has conducted several large-scale investigations of the old asylum's many buildings and documented a variety of evidence of paranormal activity, including photos, videos, recordings of voice phenomena, and personal encounters with spirits. And among one of the recordings of the sounds of disembodied voices, there was things being uttered like, go away, I'll kill you, we're upset, why'd you come here? Um, In unknown male states, I'm scared, while an invisible female asks, why won't you leave? Mm. A lot of just negative, dark energy there, clearly. Um, and then here are just some of the group's findings. So in the Quaker building, there were numerous numerous shadows that manifested and dissipated at will. These shadows include what appeared to be a small female child with long black hair, a hunched over presence with long dangling arms, and the upper portion of bodies looking over or around obstacles, doors in a rocking chair um, being moved without anyone being near them. Mm. An investigator, investigator was shoved from behind hard enough on a stairway to leave a deep red mark on the back investigator um, was scratched on the arm by an unknown object when they were not near anything or by any walls. I'm starting um, to get goosebumps again at this list. <laughs> yeah. And this is just, mind you, this is just the Quaker building. I'm not even finished with it. Objects being propelled from in the basement, such as a pry bar, some sort of brass fixture, um, various other unknown objects, and multiple EVPs, which are known as electronic voice phenomena, as well as EMF spikes throughout the building were recorded. Um, and then their psychic mediums, Sharon uh, Sharon. Pew, Sharon Pug, I don't know, Pew, has felt multiple energies there, including either a demonic force or a past life that wasn't a very nice person. Um, And that was just in the Quaker building. Holy shit. And then it gets a little smaller. But the Limerick building, uh, there's an apparition of a woman in an old styles nurse uniform, was observed by a firefighter, police officer, and a Marine, multiple EVPs caught. Um, In the Devon building, unknown sounds, multiple EVPs. The Mayflower Building, shadow people being seen multiple times, EVPs captured, investigators have been touched in this building. Um, Tinicum Building, multiple EVPs, investigator had their lugs touched. In the Philadelphia Building, loud sounds and voices heard coming from the building. Investigators surrounded the building and entered it via the tunnel system. No one in the building nor could have fled from uh, without being observed. The administration building, it got really bright in here. Multiple <laughs> voices heard at various times and EVPs caught of what appears to be a toilet flushing. This building has no huh. running water or bathroom fixtures. Oh, so, shit. Yeah. Um, and then in the Hershey building, investi- investigator heard a female child's voice on the third floor. And, uh, yeah, that's what they got from their investigation. So a lot of information from just that. Just one that investigation? Yep. Yeah. 
And then I have just a small experience that I found online. Um, and the title read, when I was young, I was kidnapped and held hostage at Penhurst Asylum. What? Yes. So it all started on the warm, sunny evening of May 11th, 2001. I had just gotten a bike for my birthday. We had an early release from school that day, and eager to try out my new bike, I decided to ride it home as my house is only a block or two away. That's so wholesome. Right? During my ride home, I heard a voice calling my name. I looked over my shoulder to see a friendly face, or at least at the time, I would later find out that looking back, it had been the worst decision I'd made. It was my father's then best friend. I asked him what he wanted, and he told me my parents had asked him to pick me up. Now, I'm not the smartest kid. I believed this man right away and go right into his car. Things took a dire turn when the car continued past my house. We later arrived in front of a medium-sized brick building that was showing clear signs of being abandoned. Plans grew all over the railing. A few on the window seemed to be broken, and the stone blocks stacked up to be steps uh, were out of place. The man whom I thought I could trust wordlessly pulled me out of the car, tied my hands together, and blindfolded me. He led me up the mossy stone stairs and into just above the most unnerving room I'd ever been in. Though blindfolded, the feeling of something just not being right got stronger the farther I was taken into the asylum. I was led down an endless hallway, with every step farther into the death trap of a building I took. The unnerving feeling in my stomach got worse. I was finally untied and tied to a dirty wooden chair where the man took my blindfold off and uttered the last and only words I'd ever heard from him, ones that had been etched into my brain since. Stay here, brat, and keep fucking quiet or else you'll rot alone in here. I'll be back in the morning if your silly little parents know your worth. Holy shit! Yeah, I had written those words at least seven times over in my journal. After this incident, I felt fear for months and months on end. After that, I felt like fear I'd never felt before. It made me feel distant from reality. Like, the entire world around me was not to be trusted, and everything was out to take me back down that endless hallway, listening to nothing but the terrible silence that had enveloped the place. It was a complete pitch black when I started hearing the sounds. It was like a whistling noise that echoed through the long hallway. The closer I heard that dreaded whistling, the more I began to feel as if I wasn't going through, I wasn't going through this entire situation alone. I still never feel as if I'm alone, as if the whistler and the other things that haunted me throughout that night are still with me to this day. Later on, in the middle of the night, I started to literally feel as if I wasn't alone. I began to feel fingers tapping my shoulder, hands around my neck, tugging on my leg and other feelings. I continued to experience everything I just described and more as the hours dragged by. Voices saying things that I could and could not make out at times. I saw lights in the hallway, which at one point on uh, which at one point shone on a crudely drawn faded colorful carousel on a wall a few feet away from me. The lights immediately turned off. I also heard children singing Ring Around the Rosie on and off quietly. Doors opened and closed, and I saw shapes form in the shadows around the room and seemed to be watching me. They didn't seem uh, malevolent, though. The shapes seemed lonely, as if they wanted to invite me into their darkness. They seemed to welcome me into their dark eternity. I felt bugs spiders a possibly a rat or two crawl across my feet it could have been something else i'm not quite sure as i was tied up and unable to move there was also a dreadful tapping as if someone was taking a knife and tapping it against the wall it was finally at around seven in the morning the man had taken me away had come to fetch me i was blindfolded once again and taken back down the long winding hallway that i had stepped foot in the day before it instilled the same fear that I had been plagued by the day before, only this time I let the fear settle in me and I haven't let go of it since. I finally made it out of the door and back into the fresh air that I had missed so much. It felt like I was breathing for the first time ever. 
The man led me down the stairs as I would push back into the car. I firmly believe to this day I heard a, sh- a child's voice whisper, Come back for us. After oh, this, God. Mm-hmm, after this, I was driven back to my mother and father. The feeling of real arms wrapped around me and real tears coming from my parents as I released back into the familiar home that I knew so well seemed like heaven compared to the terrors I went through that night. Although it didn't sound quite terrifying written, let me tell you, that night will forever be ingrained in my brain. I have never felt that kind of fear in my entire life, and I still feel the presence of whoever was with me that night. The man had bargained me to my parents for $20,000 and our complete silence about the situation. If they had not agreed, he would have left me to rot in that terrible place. That fact alone is enough to make me more thankful for the life I have than anything else. I haven't seen the man since that day. Part of me is glad, but another part of me wishes he had been caught. I hope he never did this to another child because the thought of someone who had lived so little of their life having it ripped away is just horrifying to me, especially considering how it almost happened to me. I guess what I'm trying to say by writing all this out today is that you need to be very careful of who you trust. The world is not a friendly place. I don't know why people do the things they do, but please be careful. Please make sure you know where your children are, and if you are one yourself and you happen to stumble upon this, I hope you learn from it. I don't want you to go through what I went through that night. I don't want anyone to ever have to feel the fear I felt that night. I'm now 26 years old with a beautiful family. I work as a police officer. I still see the place in my dreams. I hear the voices. Please don't let this happen to you. Don't let this happen to anyone you love. Be careful in the world. Laptop slam. Wow. Yeah. Why would you do this? Now the monsters are real people. It's like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. So... Crazy, right? Now I'm like extra scared. Because I was scared of that crawling lady, but I could always say, oh, it was TV. It might be an actress, even though it's not. That's a ghost. That's a whole ass. Yeah, that's a whole ass thing. But on that note, guys, thank you so much. Rebecca? (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Ghouly Things. Um, Lily, let's take it away with the social media spiel. So you can follow us on Instagram at Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Our Facebook page. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. Our Facebook private group. Just Ghouly Things Podcast group. Yeah. Twitter. (laughs) JGT Podcast. And you can totally donate to our Patreon. Just Ghouly Things Podcast. (laughs) And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience that they'd like to share with us on the show, you can DM us on Instagram or just email us at JustGhoulyThingsPodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to Boo later. Goodbye. Goodbye.